This is the Ezra Podcast. Tank Davis, Mayweather's prodigy. One of boxing's biggest stars. Probably the second to third biggest star. Canelo's number one. Earl Spence and Tank Davis probably compete for number two. I think probably Tank is honestly might be number two. He's got a fight this week, this week coming up. It's actually an interesting matchup between him and Mario Barrios. And Tank Davis, due to so many promotions, having so many fighters at 135, he's having a hard time fighting an opponent. So they had to get real creative this week. And they got creative. And I give them credit for how creative they got. But I wonder if they bit off too much they could chew this time. Mario Barrios is 140, just coming into a contender. right? He has a belt. It's not a real belt. It's not a... I guess at least one of the real bouts. Is, are any bouts real? I don't know. I constantly have that debate here on the show. But he has a bout of some sort at 140. But he's just coming into contendership, right? He's just at that point where he's going to take the next step to fight someone legit. And I don't think this is a bad get for his first fight. And I know that maybe people are saying, well, he's such an underdog here. Maybe they could have got him someone that's, uh, you know, more... You know, at a lesser skill level than Tank Davis, who's one of the best in boxing. And I agree with you. Skill level, right? We're just comparing skills. You're not comparing weight. You're not comparing size. You're just comparing skills. Tank Davis got some outgunned here, especially at this point of Barrios' career and what we've seen so far of Barrios. But let's add everything up. Let's add up weight, height, size, punching power, right? Because maybe Mario Barrios isn't, isn't one punch knockout right now at 140, right? Against the guys that are 140, yeah, maybe not. He still knocks them out, though. He still gets knockouts. He still gets stoppages. His punches still mean something. And Tank Davis isn't 140 pounds. He's really 130 pounds because Tank Davis is a small 135. I keep hearing, you know, speculation that he's going to go to 147 if he does good in this fight. I don't know where people are getting that from. He's completely undersized in this fight. That's like Canelo when he went to... 173 and people are like, oh, did you hear he's going to 190? It's not going to happen. He's not going to 147. They wouldn't want to make this fight right now if they didn't have to. But this is a, like everything else in this world, a calculated gamble. It's taking a chance with their star because they need to get an opponent. They need an opponent that's credible. They, they can actually sell a pay-per-view with. And Mario Barros fits that because he's bigger. He's Mexican. He has a, a no loss. He fits, he, he crosses off a few criterias, right, to where he could sell a fight versus. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a easy picking, as some people want to put it. And I think we get there, right? We get there because we're mad at Javante for not fighting Tifimo, not fighting Devin Haney or Ryan Garcia. So we're mad at him. So whoever he picked, it seemed like cherry-picking, right? But... I would rather him fight those guys. Yes, I would. But I think I'd rather him fight those guys because not only will they're bigger names, right? And if you hear anything in the back, like, once again, if you heard this podcast before, it's Atticus. It's my dog. He's a demon, right? He's half schnauzer, half demon. That's what they told me when I took him to get washed. He goes, you got, is he, is he, is, they said, what is he? I said, he's a schnauzer. And they said, no, nah, he's schnauzer, but he's something else. And I said, demon? And they said, most likely. Right, but with Tank fighting Tiafimo, they're bigger names, yes, but they're also similar sizes. And with Tank going to 140, right, and I know people are saying, well, why is PBC sacrificing Barrios like that? They might be sacrificing Tank 
Because Barnes is so damn big, right? And he's not unskilled. He's not an unskilled guy. He's a skilled guy. He's a fighter. He's a He has things he's bringing to this fight. They, if they were the same size, right, I would favor Tank a lot more than I do right now. But I would still be like, I'm still interesting matchup. Now uh, giving Tank, now giving Barrios the size advantage, and not just a little bit, a big size advantage. Because Barrios is already a big 140. Barrios is a big 140, Tank's a small 135. Now with the size, now given the size advantage, it evens it up a little bit. I'm favoring Tank in this fight, but it doesn't mean it's not interesting because it definitely is an interesting fight. And this is how guys get upset, is they get eager. They get too eager. They try to uh, try to keep them pay-per-view. Maybe this is a fight they shouldn't have done pay-per-view, right? Maybe they should have gave this one free to the fans. But because they did pay-per-view and they want to prove that Tank's a pay-per-view star and Floyd Mayweather has it in his mind that once you're a pay-per-view star, you can no longer go back to regular TV, right? That they had to do this fight where he goes to up, you know, basically two weight classes from where he should be fighting. Tank, let's just get into what Tank does. He's fast. He's balanced. He's the, mo- the most balanced, I would say, uh, person in boxing right now with his legs. He's the most balanced. And when I say balanced, right, what I mean is that when he throws a punch, his legs are perfectly set to throw another one. That's why he gets so much speed and power to his shots from each hand. It's because every time he throws a punch, he moves his legs right in a way to position for the next punch with his hips. Tank is the best at that to me in boxing. He's always countering. He usually works off your counter the most. More than anything else, he works off of your counters. He, he counters off of you. He works off of what you're giving him. He's so, his reaction is amazing. He, he, he's got a strong, stiff uh, jab to the body. He's more of an offensive fighter. I think maybe he gets credit for being a defensive fighter because he does have some like flash defensive moves. But I think that overall, in like a fight, he's way more offensively minded. And I think his defense kind of falls apart in fights. I think it starts off strong, but as time goes on, I think it you know there's you're able to get shots on him. He's not unhittable. He's definitely hittable. For you know, not trying to be too on the nose or you know puns here, but he's got a questionable tank. He does. He has a questionable tank. And even the Pedraza fight, which is probably like his most dominant performance, or even Leo Santa Cruz, there were parts in there where he had to take the round off. There were parts in there where he got pushed back. There, he has a questionable tank. It just, it just does. And a lot of times happens with like offensive fighters, right? Especially ones that are so explosive and so powerful. It's because it takes a lot of energy to do that. And when you do that, and it's like revving up, right? Like in a video game, if you have like a bar and it revs up and you go too hard and you redline it too hard, then your guy just starts diminishing. That's kind of like what he's doing. Is he goes so hard, right? His shots are so much on them, so much speed on them, that it's, sometimes he has to fight in spurts. Same thing happens like to Conor McGregor, honestly. And I think that's where this fight gets interesting to me. Right? Because if Tank's... Tank is questionable. Stamina is questionable. As the fight goes on, and Barros, that's not questionable for him. He stays pretty consistent. He's a pretty patient fighter. Let me get to Barros' stuff before I even break this down. He's big. He, like I say, he's disciplined. Disciplined legs. Um, he does have flaws. He, he can be countered. He can. His left hand drops. He doesn't change levels. He doesn't change where his head is after he attacks. A lot of his defense is usually just from controlling the distance, right? So that means that he's not uh, going to make you miss with head movement. He's not going to shoulder roll you. He's not that type of fighter. He's more of a guard to 
I'm I know if I step out this many uh inches or this this one foot out the uh, you know, I'm out of your range. He's that kind of guy. He controls the range. Now if you step into his range, he has a very quick right hand, very strong right hand. He has a decent jab. He can work, but he can be countered off of that. He's very he's hittable. Not very hittable, but he is hittable. He will be hit in this fight, and I think early Tank will get to work on him. Um, like I say, he gets countered. He stays in punching range sometimes because he, he likes to watch and pick his spots. He wants, when he throws his shots, to kind of be perfect. He likes to place him perfectly. He, he kind of reminds me of, honestly, Marquez. He kind of reminds me of, like, Marquez's game a little bit. He's strong. He has a strong right. He's calm. He doesn't rush things. And I think that that, I, so I expect to see him from this fight. Um, I don't expect him to start off fast. I think they want to drag Gervonta. I, want, I think they want Gervonta to start working early. I think they want to drag Gervonta late in this fight. And that's where this fight gets interesting. Is that Gervonta starts off strong, and I expect him to start off strong. And I expect him to put some shots on Barrios. And I know they're saying that Tank has the power to get a carry to 147. But the most impressive thing about Pacquiao, to me, right, wasn't that his power carried all the way up to 154 or 147. It was that he could take the shots coming from the guys at 154 and 147. That's the most impressive part to me. And it's like Floyd told Connor, it's not about what you can dish out. It's about what you can take. And I know that Tank Davis hits hard, and I know he hits fast, and he's going to be able to dish out some action, but how much is he going to be able to take back? And getting hit by a guy that's 140, that's going to be about 150 coming into that, that night. I don't think Tank, what's Tank going to come in at? I think Tank's going to come in about what he weighed. Another thing is, Tank, when he fought to 135, right? When he moved up to 135 to fight Gamboa, he was in terrible shape. This is another thing that I think people don't consider when they when these fights happen and they go into higher weights is sometimes Tank fighting at 130 kept him disciplined because he had to stay disciplined to make the weight. And when you go to 135, it's a little easier to make weight. So maybe it's not as much emphasized you're putting on the emphasis you're putting on the conditioning to get to that weight. So Tank's going in at 140, he's probably going to make this comfortably. So does that mean he put the same amount of work in he did when he was at 130? It's another thing. These are things that people don't think about. So is it going to be the same Tank? Because Tank versus Gamboa was, was tired. He was out of breath. He didn't have the same legs. He didn't have the same explosion. We might get that Tank here. Especially if, if he's underestimating Barrios, right? And if he's not cutting that weight, maybe he, he can't even get in the same conditioning that he did when he was 130 because he'll burn too much weight. And if Tank can't get him out early, right? Because I expect Tank to land on him. Now, the point is going to see if Barros can survive that early um, barrage of shots. And the fight goes into the fifth and sixth. I think that gets really interesting. I think that's really trouble for Tank. If this fight gets the fifth, sixth, seventh round and the damage is not that great that accumulated early. Now, he landed a lot of shots, but Barros didn't go down. Barros didn't get cut up. He didn't get hurt. And he says, okay, now we got to fight from the sixth round. And it's like, can Barrios survive the first half of the fight? And can Tank survive the second half of the fight? That's what we could turn into here. If I'm going to prediction here, I think Tank's going to win. And I think that the shots that land early, right? The shots that land early do enough damage. They accumulate enough for him that maybe Barros isn't able to recover because he is hittable, right? And it, it has diminished how hittable he was ever since every performance I've seen recently, right? That it's gotten better as one long. 
but he is hittable and he is countered and he can be countered. And I think that Tank knows he has to get to work early in this fight. And I think that Tank has a killer instinct. And I think that Tank lands. And he lands often. And I think he might drop him, might hurt him. And I think that the much as he's going to take from him early might be too much for Barrios to ever come back from. But remember how young Barrios is, right? And this is the counter. Is that Barrios is only approved every fight. He's only approved. Get down, Atticus. Atticus. Damn this dog. It's a demon. Atticus. Get down. He's, he's a demon. He really is. He's a demon. And he's working against this podcast. And it'll only benefit him in his life, right, that this podcast does good. It only would. And it's, it's and he still works against it. It blows my mind. But Bar- we'll get back to it. Barrios is only improved. He's only been improving since all these performances. And we, because he's so young and coming to think, we don't know what Barrios we're getting. He could be even approved from then. And this is where the fight gets interesting if he survives that barrage. And that's the counter. Is that tank, First of all, he's better than what we thought he was. What we even thought he was before. And I thought he was pretty good before. And he's patient. And Tank works early, but at points starts falling asleep in there and Barrow starts putting it on him. And he Tank has to take breaks and has to fight in spurts. And those spurts are start diminishing over time because Barrios is getting used to the power. He's getting used to the speed. And Tank doesn't have the same energy to put the same power that he had in the first, second, third, and fourth round. And Barros starts putting it on him. And that Tank will be in trouble in that position. And remember, Barros is 150 pounds by the time they fight. And that power starts adding up. And Barros gets a late round stoppage in the ninth or 10. That's the counter. I'm picking Tank. I think Tank's going to land early. I think that's going to do enough damage. But if he doesn't, and that second of the fight starts to get going... We have ourselves an interesting situation here. Now, it could be a blowout. And people wouldn't be like, oh, why did I pay for that? You pay for it because of the chance the Tank's taking in this fight. Because he is taking a chance. It is an interesting matchup. Whether it's a blowout or not, it's an interesting matchup. He's moving to 140. These are two weight classes going up against a good guy. If he blows him out, it's just an appreciation of how good this guy really is. Let's get to Lomachenko versus Nakatani. Lomachenko, is people are low on his stock. They are very, very low on Lomachenko stock, and I'm buying it up. And I think it's because of the. It's funny that the Lomachenko loss, it's two, two both guys lost to Tiafimo Lopez, and to me, I scored the, the Lomachenko fight a draw. I'm not, I have no problem with, with Tiafimo Lopez getting that decision, but I scored. They scored. Uh, I scored a draw, and Nakatani clearly lost to Lomachenko, but he was competitive, and it was probably Tiafimo's worst performance, um, before the Lomachenko fight, right? And I don't think it was a bad performance against Lomachenko, but I'm saying, at that point. Tifimo looked unbeatable at that. And when he fought Nakatoni, Nakatani, he looked beatable. Um, but people, it's funny with that, those losses did two very different things to these guys' careers. Lomachenko, everybody sold stock. Not everyone, but a lot of people sold stock. They just said he wasn't what everybody made him out to be. He wasn't the fighter that you all said he was. And then Nakatani, when he lost, people were like, oh, he's he's a killer. Uh, he exposed Tiafimo. This guy's better than what we're saying. It's like it was two different things happen and it that happens because you're looking at one guy from a certain way and looking at another guy from a different way and nakatani probably uh he outdid what you expected so you automatically rate him higher and lomachenko you you know he's not american not a lot of american fans probably like him they probably thought he was overhyped so as soon as he had anything where it was like c- come close to like a failure they were ready to jump on it and that's where we're at 
And I think he got to this fight, and now people are thinking, like, this is a extremely tough fight. And, and Nakatani is very tough. He's very fast. He's very tall, very big. Um, he's got a strong right hand, strong one-two. But he, all the mistakes he makes, right, is that he could be turned around. Uh, his hands uh, in, in their guard lose track. They have bad instincts. He pushes off when they're too close, so he's open for shots. Uh, he reacts to flinches. He has a, a bunch of flaws. He His movement going forward... He's just following you. He really is. And if you circle him, he's completely off balance. He Everything Loma's going to want to do, all Loma's bag of tricks are going to work in this fight. Now, if Nakatani lands clean, can he hurt Lomachenko? No doubt about it. He hits hard. But remember, Nakatani lost to Tiafimo, and then he beats uh, Verdejo, who Verdejo, people were already low on anyways because he falls apart in those kind of fights, right? He and He dropped Nakatani like twice. Hurt him bad. And Nakatani's tough and durable and strong and he keeps going, but it's not like he has a granite chin. And I just think Lomachenko's going to be able to do whatever the hell he wants. And I know the stock's low on him, but I just think he's going to be able to place his shots. He's going to be able to circle. He's going to be able to move Nakatani where he wants him, make him guess with his hands, and really just put it on him. And I I think Nakatani's big. I think he's strong. I think Lomachenko's, you know, not the biggest guy this weight, not the hardest puncher on this weight. I expect not trying to just be able to go to the decision, but I expect it to be a one-sided affair. I really do. And I think that Lomachenko is ready to, you know, get back to TFM Lopez, to get back in the talk of Durante Davis, uh, the Ryan Garcia's, the Haney's. And I think this is going to be, you know, him proving a point here in this fight, especially because TFM struggled with Nakatani. I think he's going to prove a point here. The counter is that Nakatani's a lot faster and hits a lot harder than TFM was expecting. I mean, that Lomachenko is expecting. And Lomachenko does have, just kind of stay in front of guys too much, stays watching too much, tries to, you know, really see if he could draw a mistake out with feints and, you know, pitter-pattering sometimes. And he just stays too front, too long and too front Nagatani. Nagatani just kind of keeps applying the pressure throughout the fight, and that creates more opportunity for him. And he starts landing, and he lands a big shot and really changes everything about the fight. And Lomachenko's size, once again, shows at 135. And Nagatani gets a stoppage. But I would have to expect that to happen kind of early. The later this fight goes, I think Lomachenko just really takes control of it. The, the more he sees the mistakes Nakatani's bringing, I think he, you know, Lomachenko's kind of got to study a guy, and he's going to go in there knowing the mistakes this guy's going to make. And I just think that Nakatani makes way too many mistakes for Lomachenko. But it's a very good matchup for Lomachenko coming back, especially if you're trying to set up a TFM fight. It makes sense with their, you know, with their having similar opponents in TFM with Nakatani kind of stock kind of high right now. Um... And Lomachenko's kind of low. And I think people are thinking that Nakatani's going to upset him in this fight. But Vegas knows better. I'm looking at the odds. I'm betting this fight. And Vegas is not. I thought they were going to give me a little bit better on this because of how everybody else is feeling about it. But they know better. They're smart in this one. Let's get to the undercard of Javante Davis. And there's a middleweight fight undercard on Lomachenko one that should be watched. Uh, but this this is the 154. And I think the winner of this will get the Castano-Charlo. Uh, match. I think they'll they'll get the winner of that. This is Jensen Rosario versus Erickson Lubin. And Erickson Lubin was one of the top prospects in boxing. And then, you know, they were eager to move him up. He looked very good, looked very dominating, but they put him against Jamal Charlo, and Jamal Charlo knocked him out cold. And Jamal Charlo is a really good fighter. He's one of the best fighters in the world. He's in my top 10 pound for pound. He can do it all. There's no shame in losing to him, but it really took the shine off of Erickson Lubin when he lost to him. Because it looked like he just did not belong in there. And that happens. And he was too soon to be in there. And there's valuable lessons to learn. That he, hopefully he learned from that. Jensen Rosario, 
you know, surprisingly won the title, right? I think people were, you know, surprised when he beat J-Rock. But he has the ability. He's more technique than what I think people give him credit for. I don't think he's just a pressure fighter. I think he can box. I think he likes to put pressure. He's not a brawler, though. He's a, he, there's technical skill to what he's doing. We're sorry, his power. He's got a tight guard. He fights tall. Um, can punch in tight. Can punch long. Has a, a very good right hand. Very good counter right hand. Uh, good left hooks. Good left of his body. He's very active in the ring. Um, he does have mistakes, you know what I mean? He does drop his left hand. Uh, he does dip to the same side. It's always to his left side. He crouches always his left, always. Um, and his left left hand doesn't always come back. And he comes, sometimes he puts the earmuffs on and lets you work, right? And with Charlo, he literally was stopped with a jab to the body. And it looked like his body was like convulsing, but I think he was just trying to gain there as I watched it again this time. But he was tough in that fight, and he, he was winning rounds from Charlo. This guy is no joke. Now, lose like I said, losing to Charlo is not it's it's there's no shame in that because he's the best one fifty four in the world, and he's one of the best top ten fighters in the world. But this is two different losses that they had. See, Erickson Lubin lost when he was younger, right, from a vicious, devastating KO slept. Jensen lost as he was champ already, and he fought tough and fought good in that fight and had moments and stopped to the body where he couldn't continue anymore. And there were points in that fight where I thought he was, like, kind of fainting in the corner. So I don't know what Jensen you're getting in this fight. But I don't know what Erickson Lubin's chin has left. Because he was hurt by Terrell Gachelle. Now, Gachelle got a knockout the next fight. So maybe someone's, the technique, the Gachelle, he's getting better. And he's applying it. And it's getting more effective. But I'm curious if Erickson Lubin's chin's going to hold up against Jensen. I expect Erickson Lubin to box very good. Because Erickson Lubin's, since he got knocked out, has been better defensively. He's been defensively sound. And that happens. Sometimes you get slept and you get better. Your game gets better if you get slept. And, and Eric Sloop has been pretty good. Now, like I said, the Gachelle fight really kind of left people like, mm, I don't know, right? Because it was a boring fight. And then the moments that were exciting was when Gachelle did something and hurt Lubin. And that made the fight interesting. But Lubin's more recently has been more... I'm going to work off your game. Actually, he's always kind of been like that. Now, I heard someone say that he was kind of like a pressure fighter. And even when he was a pressure, it kind of like puts pressure on you to counter off you, though. Like, he wants you to react, right? And Jensen's going to be able to do that with Lubin. But he also can set traps himself. And I think that's where Lubin could get in trouble, right? Because when Lubin starts to, you know, where you're not working and then Lubin's trying to set up his shots, I think that's where he gets open. And I think, like I said, he has a questionable chin, but he could do a lot of things in the ring. And I, I never really sold my stock a little because I just knew like what he does with his legs, how balanced he is, his understanding of the range, how quick he reacts when you step into punching range where there's not really much thought process that has to take before he starts responding. Is It's really high-level stuff. And if you're a scout, and like I said, there's some things that you can't see, right? And you can't see the chin. You can't tell whether he has a chin or not. You can't see where his mind is and all those things. That's the thing with Lubin. It's just like, is his chin going to hold up? When the pressure gets on him again, is he going to be able to respond well? Or is he going to go fall back to which, you know, the bad memories of Charlo? And is, it, is he going to get to cover up and try to protect himself and just ride out to losing a decision? I'm going to pick Lubin in this fight. I think he's really defensively sound. I think that he's going to control the range of Rosario. I think Rosario's going to land shots. I think he's going to work. but And I think Lubin's going to survive late. But I think he's going to do enough to take the decision in this fight. And I think that 
Rosario is still going to feel some of the after effects of that Charlo fight. And I expect him to be hurt. I think both guys will be hurt in this fight. I think Lubin is going to control distance early. Land shots as soon as uh, Rosario steps in. Rosario's going to start setting traps where he steps in and then pulls back when Lubin thinks he has it in range and he's going to start landing his right hand. The Southpaw versus um, Orthodox is going to favor Lubin in that because they're going to, the, the foot spot where Rosario's going to try to step in, Lubin's going to be able to control the distance a little bit in that. I think that Lubin's going to escape with the decision here. I think this is the best fight of the weekend. Um, I think this is the fight to watch. And I think Lubin wins this and sets up a fight with the winner, Charlo Castello, uh, Castano. And I think that it's a hard sell, you know what I mean, with Lubin versus uh, Charlo, right? Lubin's very good, and I think he could look very impressive, and I think this could be a very entertaining fight to where, you know, even though he struggles at moments, it could rise the stock up. The UFC fight, you got a serial game, right? And I think, not a great card, but it has he has to be watched because he's a top, top prospect at heavyweight, and UFC doesn't get these often, and you have, the heavyweight division is kind of thin, and I think that he's coming for the title. He only has eight fights, and he's fighting um, Volkov, and I just want to make sure I'm saying Volkov's name right. Real gain versus Volkov. Yeah, same Volkov. And Volkov is a hard-hitting fighter. Stand-up. This is where this fight gets interesting because it's both both guys want to stand up in this fight. And Gain is very dynamic in the stand-up. He's very dynamic switching. He's very dynamic uh, picking his shots from range, from getting on the inside and working the clinch. And he also will take a takedown. And he's so like big and gifted, right? That he just has to be watched. But with a guy like Volkov, who's very experienced and hits so hard and just really destroyed over in last time we fought, it, it really is an interesting, interesting, interesting matchup that has to be watched because if Gain wins this fight, the momentum for him to get a title shot, it's it's building up and he's going to be getting it really soon. Like his, this is his going to be his ni- if he wins a ninth win and then could be the talk for a, ten, a title shot if there's 10 fight. Like that's like... Brock Lesnar, uh, John Jones type stuff of how fast he's getting to this spot, or even like Adesanya in a way of like just to me, right? I know we're talking John Jones versus Nagano. I think this guy's the true threat to Nagano, right? But there's guys like this that pop up, and they're stand-up guys, and they get knocked out by a guy like Volkov. That'd be the kind of guy that knocks him out. It's like a disciplined uh, guy that follows the fundamentals of striking. I think this is a fun matchup. I'm going to pick Gain in this fight because I just think Gain is just special. And I don't think Volkov is special. I think Volkov is disciplined. I think he hits hard, but I don't think he's special. And I'm going to take special. I think sometimes the special, it's just, those guys, they grow quick and they capture they capture stuff quick. And stuff that he was doing, mistakes he was making last fight, he's probably not going to make this fight. And things he was doing good last, last fight, he's going to do great this fight. I think Gaines going to win this fight. I think he's going to win it all over the place. I think he's going to win stand-up. I think he's going to get takedowns. I think he's going to be able to work like that, work in the clinch. I just think he can do more. I think he's more confident. And I think he, you know, I think Volkov kind of has to have the fight go and he, where he controls it the whole time. And I don't think he's going to be able to control this fight. I think he might have moments, right? But when the fight gets away from him, I think it really gets away from him. I'll take Gain to win that fight. Now, let's get to the bets. Like I told you, Atticus is a demon. And he will ruin this podcast. He will be the death of this podcast. Let's get to the bets. I only have one. I don't even know why I'm opening my book to see it. But it's Lomachenko. I think Lomachenko. And the odds aren't great. Like, they're not giving me a lot of value on my bet. It's minus 1,400. But I'm still going to put a million. I'm at 1,500,000. 
508,000. Yeah, 1,508,000. I'm going to put a million on Lomachenko to win 71K. I was going to put 100 on Davis, but that fight's a lot closer than I think people are really. And I'm picking Davis to win by like a fifth round knockout. But I just know that that fight is like, if it gets us back at a certain point, it's going to get too interesting. And I I don't know. I don't want to take that chance. I'm going to take Lomachenko. I feel really good about Lomachenko. I'm going to put a million to win 71K. Sometimes you got to take the small wins. That's what I'm realizing. This is like, when you bet, it's gotta, you got to treat it like stock. You got to treat it like, I'm going to put it in here. I can't lose it all right here, but this is little gains that I'm going to take throughout the week. I told you, I just want to double your money this year. If anything past that is amazing. I just want to double your money. I'm at 1.5. I started at a mil. Let's get closer to 1.6. I was at 1.7. Bad week last week. Let's get back to my, you know, let's get back to the fundamentals of my betting, right? The way my system works. And I'm going to take Lomachenko. I feel like, I feel like he's superior to Nakatani. And it might cost him more to put in there, but I'm just building it up. I'm building up the savings. I'm building up the profit. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the S-Rock Podcast. Say bye, Atticus. You demon.